the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, does God hear our prayers? Well, if you're on your knees, if you've committed your life to Him, you have put sin at the altar, and you have fessed up with God admitting your need for a Savior, and your submission is sound, these words are true for you. I will hear you. That is just a little bit of what you'll hear today on Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message is the first portion of The Politician Den. Make sure that you stay with us for a few seconds after the broadcast today. We have a free gift that we would like to give to you. And don't forget that if you miss any portion of this broadcast, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy right to your personal library or listen online at the website reachingyourheart.com. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the Son of God who gave Himself for us, who loves us, who has a future of hope and a plan for all of us. And so we bow our heads asking for you to lead us into that future. In Jesus' name, amen. Aristotle was perhaps the first Greek thinker in history to study politics with a scientific scrutiny. He wrote these statements about politics in the 4th century B.C., He said, man is by nature a social animal. An individual who is unsocially naturally and not accidentally is either beneath our notice or more than human. Society is something that precedes the individual. Anyone who either cannot lead the common life or is so self-sufficient as not to need to and therefore does not partake of society is either a beast or a god. Amazing statement. He says in another place, man is by nature a political animal. So at least as far as Aristotle is concerned, when you look at human nature, we're all animals. The prophet Daniel encountered political animals who wanted to eat him alive. Men who acted like beasts, like lions instead of men. And maybe you've seen them in your lifetime. You ever ran across someone like that in your movings about? You ever had someone attack you that way at work? Well, we know in our struggle to have a church, we were undergoing attacks like that for about six, seven years Maybe you've seen them in your own lifetime. Daniel was a man who just wanted to do the right thing, but he found himself among the lions of the political kind, the politician's den. Jealousy is the motivation that moves a lot of politicians to ruthlessly destroy their opponents. Not to win, but to destroy the opposition. The root of all political jealousy I've discovered is poor self-esteem. It's a sense of smallness masking as greatness. It's always the little man who tries to destroy someone else to become the big man. So if you're putting someone else down so you can look better, look out, you are in the politician's den. Daniel was not that kind of a man. He was fully content to serve God at the bottom of the ladder. 
You know, if you find yourself wanting to serve God at the top of the ladder, there's evidence that there's something wrong with you. If you in your walk with God can say, you know, whatever is given to me, whatever role I have, that is a high calling in my service to God, then you are in the right place. You have the right attitude. That is why God pushed Daniel all the way to the top of the empire because he had the right attitude of service, the right attitude in relationship to others. Look at Daniel 6.1. The Bible says it pleased Darius, the Mede, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Verse 3. So this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps. Let me pause right there. Now, this satrap word, it means a governor. It was a governor in ancient Persia. But it sounds like a mousetrap to me. You know, whenever I hear the word satrap, I think of mousetrap. And these satraps and the others are out to entrap Daniel in the storyline. It goes on to say, satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. That means Daniel. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I mean, Daniel was on his way as a Jewish captive to being under the king, the head of all the Medo-Persian empire. An amazing statement here. Darius the Mede came to power as king in Babylon. We know historically from the Bible after the fall of Babylon in the autumn of 539 B.C. The person of Darius the Mede is unknown among the ancient historians outside of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, and Xenophon, perhaps, who wrote much later around the time of Josephus. So why is there this silence about Darius the Mede? We can't even find him in the inscription evidences. All the cuneiform inscription data has nothing there for Darius the Mede. No doubt Cyrus the Great, the Persian co-regent who took the city of Babylon, erased Darius' memory so there would be no rivals to his throne and his historical legacy. We know he did that for Babylonian monarchs. It was natural to know that he would also do it for Darius. So just because we don't find this in secular historians does not negate the authenticity of the biblical account. Uh, My favorite theologian says that Cyrus was the nephew and general of Darius. I accept that. But I'll leave it right there and not debate it with you if you don't agree with me. It's not essential here to our analysis of the story this morning. If you believe the Bible, and there are lots of so-called smart people who don't, people who think they are smarter than the Scriptures, people who are so sure that they can stand in judgment upon God's word, that they, they believe that somehow God would make a critical error by putting a fictitious person in the story. I don't buy that. I don't buy it for intellectual and analytical reasons. But if you believe the Bible, you have to accept the fact as presented in Scripture that Darius the Mede was a real king in charge of Babylon after the fall of Babylon. The context suggests that the events of the reorganization of the kingdom of Babylon were the result of the fall of Babylon that is pictured in Daniel 5. The first year of Darius is a very important year for the king. In Daniel 9.1, it is the year Daniel prayed to understand the 70-year time prophecy of Jeremiah. The prophecy had predicted that God's people would come out of captivity at the end of 70 years. And Daniel is moving toward that prophecy's end as he begins to pray and seek the God of heaven for divine intervention. Why? Because he believed in prophecy. You know, I've been around some folks in our church as of late who don't believe in the prophecies that gave us Jesus. 
And yet they say they want to hear the gospel. They don't believe in the gospel either. Because if you don't believe in the proof of the gospel that authenticates the gospel, you have undermined the gospel. Daniel was studying the prophecies that would lead to the end of captivity. And God blessed him with the great prophecies of history that show us the coming of Christ. Look at Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I mean, I claimed this promise when we were at park and planning and we were denied the right for our church. I left that meeting in tears. You may not realize it. My father-in-law called me on the phone. He said, Mike, I want you to get a grip. He says, because God has not called you to weakness. It's time to stop that stuff. And he said this, he said, in nature, the weak die. So you have no place for weakness. And then he read me what I'm getting ready to read you. He read me the promise that is the promise of the end of captivity. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. That's what my father-in-law read says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. Now, he doesn't mean the kind of welfare that you draw as a check because you can't make it. He means the kind of welfare that means it's going good for you. God says, I have a plan that is good for you to give you a future and a hope. Friend, God has not called you into a life journey and a path that will end your hope and bring you to ruin. If you are in submission to him, God has called you to hope to a life that is full of promise. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And then look at these magnificent words. I will hear you. Hey, does God hear our prayers? Well, if you're on your knees, if you've committed your life to him, you have put sin at the altar. And you have fessed up with God admitting your need for a Savior and your submission is sound. These words are true for you. I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. God is saying, I'm going to bring you back to the Holy Land. I'm going to bring you back to the sanctuary. I'm going to make your life matter for the rest of your life and for generations to come. In the first year of Darius in Daniel 9, Daniel studied the prophecy and Daniel prayed for freedom from captivity. Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9 followed the rhythm of the evening and the morning sacrifice. He was in tune with the sanctuary service of his youth. I mean, he believed in the sanctuary message that pointed him to faith, to grace, to God. Even though the temple was in ruins in Jerusalem, Daniel's rhythm of prayer did not change even though the sanctuary was brought down. He prayed in the evening and the morning at the time of the sacrifice. And it's no accident the angel Gabriel came to Daniel with the answer to his prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel 9.21 While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, the Hebrew word is the chazon, referring to the vision of Daniel 8, 2, and 13, and so on. He came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He came and he said to me, O oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you wisdom and understanding. He calls him beloved of heaven. Friend, if you're on your knees in the morning and in the evening, seeking the living God in your life, if you're on your knees committing yourself to the Lord, surrendering and humbling up to God, God will send angels to you in the morning and the evening to be the answers to your prayer. 
the angel told Daniel that the city would be rebuilt. And then at the end of seven times 70 years, not 70 years, but seven times 70 years, something better would happen. The great captivity of the world would end and he would send Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to die on the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins. That's the answer that Daniel got on his knees that day. In the first year of Darius the Maid, Daniel was studying the prophecy that concerned the coming of Jesus. Friend, if you want to advance intellectually and spiritually in your profession, how many of you like to have an IQ boost? Tell me right now. A few of you? The rest of you very comfortable with your IQ? Okay. How many of you like to have a boost in work effectiveness? Maybe that's a better question. More hands go up. So you don't want to be smart. You just want to make money. I get it. Well, look, if you want to really make it in life, if you want to increase your potential to be dynamic at the workplace and dynamic in your relationships, start studying your Bible like your life depends on it. Get up in the morning and open that book up and search the Word of God. I'm not talking about this lazy kind of Bible study that gets you nowhere. I'm talking about the kind of Bible study that John models in his Revelation Daniel class. The kind that compares Scripture and Scripture goes into the meaning of the words, the context that seeks the theology and the exegesis of vital elements of the text that draws you to Christ, that strengthens you in Christ. Real Bible study. Daniel 6.3 indicates that Daniel distinguished himself above his associates. Why? Because he knew how to study the Bible. He knew how to pray and God was with him. God will do the same thing for you in your sphere if you do that. During the first year of Darius, the evidence supports the fact that Gabriel visited Darius the Mede to help him out and to encourage the king. In fact, we know from the text of Scripture that Gabriel was the guardian angel of Darius the Mede in the politician's den. Not the lion's den, the politician's den. As a tag team of sorts, Michael, who is called the commander of the host, the prince of princes, the mighty archangel, which means the ruler of the angel, He was Daniel's guardian angel, Daniel's guardian prince. Michael is the Old Testament name for the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord. Now, what do I mean by saying that? Well, in the Old Testament, Christ had a form. He isn't absent in the Old Testament. He appeared as the angel of the Lord, who's not really an angel, but who is God in angel form. We will return to Pastor Michael Loxentenko's message in just a moment, but we are very excited right now to be able to bring you a free gift. They are called Discover Bible Guides, and they're absolutely free if you'll call right now. These new, in-depth, full-color Bible study guides are designed to help you find hopeful answers for your life, and they are absolutely free if you call right now. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. He is Yahweh, Jehovah, in angel form, the angel of his presence in Isaiah 63, 9. That person is Michael. I have done over the last 10 years, by God's grace, not by my own power, linguistic analysis of Daniel. There's absolutely no doubt from the internal structures of the book of Daniel that Michael is Jesus Christ the prince of princes, the mighty prince of the host, and that he is not a created being, that he is eternal God, that he is as ancient as God the Father. He is in the bosom of the Father. But the structures of Daniel prove the divinity of Christ, and it also proves that Michael, the great prince, is the great son of God, the highest of all princes. 
The word of God is the word of God. And the word of God who is God, the angel of his presence, who guards and leads God's people in every age, the guardian protector of God's people, that person in the Old Testament was Michael. And he had angels. He was in charge of the angels. That person in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. And Christ tells John, I have sent my angel to you. I am the root and offspring of David, but I'm more than this. I'm the bright and morning star. I'm the brightest of all the heavenly hosts. I am the eternal son of God. I precede the dawn of time as the morning star precedes the dawn. I am an eternal being. I am Michael in the Old Testament. I am Christ in the New. I am the eternal son of God who is God. Daniel's prince was Michael, the great prince. You know, if you're called the great prince... That has to be Christ. Because if he's the great prince, there's no prince over him. Am I right? That's just simple, obvious reasoning. And Michael is the one who rescues God's people in the resurrection in Daniel 12. You can't raise the dead if you're an angel. You have to raise the dead if you're God. And so his name in the Old Testament is a question. Who is equal to God? And the answer in the New Testament is Christ, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Daniel 10, 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these evil forces implied, except Michael, your prince. And as for me in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and to strengthen him. Gabriel came to help Darius in the first year of Darius the Mede. That's the year Daniel was praying to. It was a tough year for Darius because of the scheming of the political animals that Aristotle spoke of in Babylon, these lions in the politicians' den. When your work is impeccable and you rise to the top of the pack at your job, I won't ask you to raise your hand if that's true for you. Well, don't be surprised if some political animal tries to take you out by trapping you in something you did not see coming. That's how it works. Jealous people tried to create a Darwinian work environment for you. When you excel for God, you cannot help but become a target for someone else's jealousy. Daniel was no exception to this truth. Look at Daniel 6 verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. I pray to God that that is true for me every moment of my life. That there is no fault, there is no ground for complaint. And you should pray the same prayer. Verse 5. Then these wise men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Uh, the only thing they could dig up, you know, trying to dig up dirt against Daniel, was his love for God. That's all they could find. When they got to the bottom of the barrel, there was love for God at the bottom of the barrel. You know, we hear the same thing in our culture today. I mean, it's somehow a scandal if you love God and you're a Christian in our political culture. If you're a Christian in the politically correct world that we see in America, you're called things like a fanatical nut, a fascist, or a bigoted person or something like that. Am I right or wrong? I'm right. And since when did being a Christian become evidence that a person is prone to violence and bigotry? I mean, who, who created that argument? It's a false argument. It's, it fails the historical test. Atheism in the last 200 years, has killed millions and millions of people. Christianity has not. And dear heart, if you put the atheistic secular philosophy to the test, it is the worst thing that has happened in a short period of time in human history. 
From the time of the French Revolution, we have the rise of Hitler. We have the rise of atheism in the communist empire that killed more people than Hitler. We have Mao in China, which wiped out 70 plus million people. I'm sorry, Christianity is a good thing for the world when it is exercised in humility and obedience to the word of God. It does not destroy lives. It builds up the world we live in. We live in a culture today that finds it harder, hard in a former Christian America to tolerate believers in Jesus Christ in the public sphere. Our country doesn't spend a lot of energy anymore trying to stop forces in the world from murdering Christians. It's now happening, and who cares? No outcry in our political sphere anymore. No big deal, it seems. It's not politically correct today to be a Christian in America and to defend persecuted Christians around the world, like in Iraq and Syria and other parts of China and so on. In verse 6, the text says that the prefects, the satraps, the counselors and the governors all came to the king by agreement. You know, it was a political action committee with one evil focus in their minds. How can we kill Daniel? Now, in Revelation seventeen thirteen, the Bible says at the end of time, the kings of the earth will unite for a brief period of time, for one hour. And it says they are of homothumadon in Greek, of one mind. And they give their royal authority over the beast. They're acting like these politicians in the politician's den. Of course, they didn't tell the king that they were out to kill Daniel, but that was the reason they united. They told him something else. Look at verse 7. They all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, the assumption was clear here. This interdictor law was intended to increase loyalty to the king. It was meant to pull the empire together. It was meant to solidify his position in an unstable transition from Babylon to Medo-Persia. And the interdict actually did two things. First, it limited religious freedom. It made it impossible to worship any god but the king for 30 days. Secondly, the interdict called for the worship of the king instead of the true god or any god for that matter. So it elevated the political leader from a human political sphere into the divine and spiritual realm, a place he had no business going. It was a direct violation of the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and no man can claim to be God. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Now, only one thing was greater than the king in the Medo-Persian Empire, and that was the law that the king signed into existence. A king who doesn't honor his own laws will not honor his kingdom very long, and so he'll lose the support of his compatriots. A king who changes his laws by executive order loses the respect of his subjects. And so the king was the executive officer who was bound to not alter the same law he had signed. And the political animals, the lions and the politicians, den, they knew it. They knew the king had to function this capacity. Those politicians knew that the law is greater than the king. And they knew if the king was tricked to make a bad law, they could destroy Daniel with the trick that was in the bad law. The same thing is going to happen in the Mark of the Beast issue at the end of time. Exactly the same. Politicians and false preachers in this country, in the United States of America, according to Revelation 13, are going to trick the government into making a law that prohibits true worship and enforces false worship. 
and God's people will be in the mix just like Daniel was. They'll be right in the crosshairs of the power of the state. In verse 9, the king signed the document and the evil angels danced in the halls of power as they maneuvered their human pawns to destroy Daniel. This was the year that Daniel received his revelation of the 490-year time prophecy that points to the death of Christ on the cross. This was the magical year when the prophecy that would bring us freedom from captivity, that would bring us Jesus, was in play. So if you destroy Daniel, thinking like a demon here, I don't want to do that often, but if you destroy Daniel, the prophecy goes away and there's nothing to fulfill. So get rid of him, you get rid of the prophecy. So demons were at work that year to make sure the book of Daniel was never written. The prophecies that would open up the world to Christ would never appear. From hell's perspective, Daniel is in the way and he must go so the Messiah can never come. What did Daniel do when he heard about this strange new law targeted at him? Did he just wait until the 30 days was over? Kind of go back and, you know, take his vacation? Did he just choose to hide it out until the threat passed? No. Daniel knew, and he knew exactly what it meant. He knew it was a test. It was a chance to bear witness to the truth. If he was ashamed of God in hard times, then how could he expect God to be with him any time? He held on to God for the long haul all the time. Thanks for listening today to The Politician Den here on Reaching Your Heart. We'll conclude this broadcast the next time we get together. But if you'd like to listen to it right now, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. You can listen in on-demand audio format or download a copy to your personal library. That's reachingyourheart.com. And just for listening, we are very excited to bring to you today a free gift. It's a book entitled Soul Care. And it is an absolutely free resource just for listening today. If you'd like to dial in and get a copy of this free book, here's the telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We believe this book could change your life. So dial right now to pick up your free copy, 888-244-4673. If this message has inspired you and you'd like to partner with us to keep these broadcasts on the air, please call us right now with a donation of any amount. Your contributions are vital to our ability to continue to provide this resource to others. And we so appreciate your support. Again, dial this phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time for Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.